suffering, no matter what the circumstances are, when Jesus died on that cross, he became completely identified in his own body with all of the sufferings that we've experienced. So what the enemy of your soul wants is to divorce your pains and your suffering from Jesus when Jesus wants us to see him and learn how to praise him despite how painful life can be. Life is painful. It's a fact. If you haven't experienced it yet, you will in some capacity. When life gets hard, when it hurts, we don't tend to rejoice. Do you? Pastor Daniel reminds you today that those moments of suffering are known by Jesus. He sees you. He's experienced sorrow too. He gets it. And he won over the pain. He conquered. He can be counted on when you need him for comfort, hope, and strength. And for that, you can rejoice. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Revelation chapter 6 as he begins his message, The Fifth and Sixth Seals. You know, it's not easy being a dad these days. And part of it is because my kids are now at that age. When they were little, as a dad, it was pretty easy because they're little and all you need to do is hug them and tickle them and talk to them and they're good. But now my kids are older now. So I'm at that stage of parenting where, you know, your kids, like playing sports with your kids used to be like a nice little ego boost for me. You know what I mean? Like you have a bad day, you go home and you got your little kids and you're playing basketball. And before you know it, you just swat that, you know, get that out of my house. And because I'm that dad, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, like part of my job is preparing for the real world. And part of the job is just to have a blast with them. And so But now I'm at that age now where my kids can beat me in pretty much everything, right? So like this summer, my son Obadiah, he's 17. Now, many of you know my son Obadiah suffered a really bad broken leg. You know, he's all healed up. And I know that because we started playing spike ball, which is a game that the kids play. You know what I mean? And so I'm figuring, man, this guy's hobbled. He's not going to do so good at this thing. And so sure enough, he like wipes the backyard with me, like over a bunch of spike ball games. But Obadiah is this, like, he's such a cool guy, and he's, he's like a gracious winner. So he'd be like, oh, dad, good game, GG. I'm like, well, bro, like, you beat me, like, 21 to 4, and the reason I got 3 is because you, like, double faulted on your serve. He's like, no, no, dad, you'll do better, you know, next time. And then sure enough, we start playing a little bit more, and I start working a little harder. The only problem is every time I work harder, I end up more sore by the time it's all over. But then he like, I think he like lets me win a little bit. And then when I get like within like five points, and he like blows me out the rest of the way. And it's like, but he's such a gracious guy. Like he's so kind. He's like, oh, dad, good game. You're doing good. And then I did beat him like twice. I've been like living on that. Cause like I'm competitive. Like, and I used to be able to beat my kids at everything. So but then I think to myself, okay, so Obadiah can beat me in, in spike ball. Definitely don't want to wrestle with him. That'll go bad. Because I'll have to cheat, and that wouldn't be a good witness for Jesus. And so, but then, sure enough, so the, then we also, we, we've been playing this card game all summer called Kings in the Corner. Anyone know Kings in the Corner? It's a fun little game. It's, it, we're not gambling. But if you do gamble, use Rolos. It makes it super fun for everybody. It's a different discussion. But we play this game. It's called Kings in the Corner. And you have to kind of get, like, all of the cards in numerical order alternating by color. Right, So we've been playing this, and my little Annabelle, Annabelle's eight, and Annabelle's like, Dad, you want to play Kings in the Corner? And I'm like, 
yeah, let's play kings in the corner. And Lynn screams from the other room, be careful, she's good. Right? So I'm like, okay, here we go. And I, but like, I'm notoriously a good kings in the corner player. Not because there's any strategy, it's just, you know, it's how the cards fall pretty much. So sure enough, I deal the whole thing out. Annabelle wins the game without me even playing a card. She's the first one to go. She clears her whole deck out and she's like, boom. She just looks at me. <laughs> boom. And I'm like, she's like, you want to play again? I'm like, yeah, I want to play again. This was last night, mind you, preparing for my sermon. You know what I mean? So then we start playing. Second game, what does she do? She beats me again. She's like, you want to go for one more deck? Now, Annabelle's eight. She's like 50 pounds drenched with all of her clothes on. You know, so she's just little, and she's so sweet, right? Third game, totally houses me. Now, my son Obadiah is such a kind guy. He's like, oh, good game, dad. Annabelle's like, dad, you're horrible at this game. I'm like, Annabelle. She's like, no, dad, listen, I just beat you three times in a row. I mean, like, I need a bet. I need someone better to play with. I'm like, Annabelle, you, you got to be like a gracious winner. She's like, yeah, a winner. As she walks away and I'm like, things are rough these days. You know what I mean? I'm like, what, whatever happened? It's a great reminder because at that moment, at that moment, as a dad, it's all about how you respond at that moment. Because I realized I could like pick her up over the shoulder, toss her in the kiddie pool outside. Like, yeah, you're all wet now. But that would be a horrible witness. And so I said, Annabelle, you have played a great game today. And I kind of wanted to be like, thanks, dad. She's like, I know. <laughs> I bring all this up because listen, here at Crossroads, we'd like to say, that our entire mission is to simply respond to Jesus. But here's what I want to tell you. Almost everything that goes on in your life, the good things, the bad things, when you blow your dad out and king's in the corner or you get blown out by your eight-year-old, so much of where the rubber meets the road, where life happens, it really comes down to how do you respond to all of these things. The person that you are in times of victory and times of defeat, in times when things go the way you want them to go, and the ways that you don't want them to go. How you respond actually tells more about who you are in Christ than everything else. It's the reflection of our character at street level, where we are. And I realize that for all of us, as we journey through life together, week in and week out, I realize that like, if I'll see you here on a Sunday, I'll see you midweek or something going on, right? I realize that Throughout the seven days of the week, you have all sorts of experiences. And we all react in all sorts of ways. And one of the things that I love so much about who Jesus is, is Jesus knows that we are more than our worst moments. And he also knows that we're more than our best moments. But what Jesus is interested in is our lives being empowered and enlivened by his spirit that we might embody the life and the person and work of Jesus. And I believe that's why most of you are here today. You're saying, I want my life to better embody my faith in Jesus. Now, I know some of you, the reason you're here is the only reason you're here is because the only way to get brunch with your family is they make you come to Crossroads. And if that's you, we're super stoked that you're here today. Like, it's cool. There's like a little appetizer before your breakfast with your family. But 
even if you don't believe in Jesus, deep down, I think there's a part in every human being that is saying, I really want my life to embody the highest ideals that I can imagine. That's why we were so enamored with people who accomplish amazing things. Because we're saying, I want my life to be, have purpose, to have meaning. And really, we've been studying the book of Revelation together. And by the time we get to the end of the chapter that we're studying today, really what we see is we just see the way people respond to what's happening. And for all of us, we'll ask ourselves the question like, what does my responses look like? Now, here's what I want to tell you. If I'm sharing this with you and you're like, Fusco, like, I respond really poorly. Well, first, welcome to the club. Like, that's part of this. Like, we all have these moments where like, I did not want to respond that way, right? I wish I hadn't. But the message of the gospel is not that we respond perfectly always. The message of the gospel is that Jesus always responded perfectly. And that's why he was the acceptable sacrifice for all the ways that we don't respond perfectly. But we don't say, well, listen, if I'm never going to respond perfectly, then who cares? Let's respond however I want to. No, no, no. Because Jesus is saying, I actually want to do a work in your life. And for all of us, all the things we're going through are pointing to this is the heart work that Jesus wants to do in us. So in order to unpack all of this, I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, we're going to take verses 9 to 17 together, or otherwise known as the second half of Revelation chapter 6. We opened up this section on the book of Revelation. We saw the four horsemen of the apocalypse, or as I like to call them, the four horsemen of Metallica. And you see right away that as Jesus is opening these seals, that things are going bad on the earth. That's really what you see. And I I spent a lot of time trying to frame why all this is happening. But just to remind you, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has sovereign control over everything. And right now where we're living in this day and age, Jesus wants to draw people to himself, people with all sorts of issues and problems and brokennesses and issues and addictions. But it's going to come a time when Jesus says, okay, now it's time to set everything right again. All the stuff that's all messed up, we see it on the news, we see it in our, in our own hearts, all the stuff that's going on. At some point, Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to fix this. It's time to take everything that's wrong and make it right. Or as the Jesus Storybook Bible, if you have kids, want to read that to them, where it says everything, God is going to make everything unbroken again. I love that. That God has a plan to take what is broken and, and repair it and fix it. And this is the way to it. Now we're picking up in, the, in what's called the fifth seal. So look at what it says, verse nine. It says, now when he, speaking of Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then, verse 11, a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Now, really what we learn here is that the fifth seal is simply the martyrs crying out for justice. That's, you know, like I'd love to give you like some really like cute thing about this, but that's just really what this is. Jesus opens the, the fifth seal on that scroll and really what goes on is that there is a crying out with a loud voice. All of these people who have been martyred for their faith. 
So literally under the altar, there's, it's almost like a, a section in heaven. I don't want to overpress the, the picture here where there are these people who have lost their lives for faith in Jesus. But I want you to notice, as they, they begin to share, they begin by praising God. Notice, how long, O Lord, holy and true. Now, this is so important because I realize that we live in a world where suffering happens. And we have this tendency that when suffering happens, our natural inclination as people is to divorce a holy God from the sufferings that we experience. And I want to tell you, don't do that because God is not divorced from any of our experiences. Jesus is the suffering servant who died on the cross. And no matter why we're suffering, no matter what the circumstances are, when Jesus died on that cross, he became completely identified in his own body with all of the sufferings that we've experienced. So what the enemy of your soul wants is to divorce your pains and your suffering from Jesus when Jesus wants us to see him and learn how to praise him despite how painful life can be. Now, this is doubly hard in our culture. Now, I talk about our culture a lot because I live here and you live here too. And so every concept happens in a context. You like that? Write that down. Impress your friends. A concept happens in a context. But here's the deal. I like comfort as much or more than all of you, right? Like I enjoy when things are good, when I'm healthy, when everything is working out, when all the bills can get paid and when everybody's happy. And there's nothing wrong with comfort. It's going to be 100 degrees this week. And like you're planning for that, aren't you? Why? Because it's hot, And when it's too hot, even though when it's raining, we can't wait for it to be hot. But now that it's hot, we're like, get me out of here. You know, it's like, you know, you're going to go to Fred Myers. You're going to try and buy a bag of ice and they're not going to be there because someone was a step ahead of you. They grabbed all that ice. They're just going to stay cool. Now, here's the deal. Because we like comfort, we're used to comfort. And then when discomfort happens, we really don't know what to do with it. And it's one of the blessings of our society. But what happens oftentimes is, especially when the discomfort comes on the spiritual level or because of our faith, we actually don't know how to handle it. And really what we find, these martyrs who lost their life for the word of God, look what it says, for the word of God and for their testimony, which they held, because they believed God's word and they had this testimony of their faith, when they cry out for God to avenge or make right the wrongs that they've experienced, they begin by praising him because God is holy and true. And I'm here to tell you the greatest prescription in suffering is to learn how to worship through tears. Is to learn how to worship through pain. And in a lot of ways, we have to learn how to train before the race. I was thinking about this. So I am not a a runner. I used to say the only time I ran when I was a kid was when I played baseball or when I ran from the cops. And all you law enforcement folks, I love you. But I was quick when I was young, you know, and I was naughty. So it's like, I didn't want to get busted. So I could run pretty fast. But what happens is I got older because I played catcher in high school, I had shin splints. And so I didn't want to run. But then because I had shin splints, I'm like, yeah, I can't run. I got shin splints. And I didn't really, I literally didn't run for like, 20 years. And then recently I started, I'm like, man, I should start running. And, and I had some friends who were into working out and they got me into it. And I'm like, yeah, I can't run because I have shin splints. And I was talking to a buddy of mine who's a pastor and he's like, oh, you got shin splints? He's like, I have the gift of healing. I'm like, oh, stop. 
he really just wanted me to run. He's like, well, let me pray for you. And he literally prayed for me over the phone. Lord, just bless Daniel and heal his shin splints. He's just being lazy. So can you just fix that? <laughs> like, it's like, how's that we pray? And he's like, go ahead, go run tomorrow. And I ran the next day. And I haven't had shin splints literally one day since then, which is so funny. So I tell you all this because, I, oh, you can praise the Lord. Amen. I'm not praising him so much because now I run, which is hard, you know? So, but I started running. And so literally yesterday, I'm like, I'm going to go run a 5K, right? And so like, I, I went from running nothing for 20 years, now I'm running a 5K. And as I'm running, I'm thinking to myself, I should probably try and get to like an 8K. It's like five miles. I'm like, there's no reason to run five miles unless your car breaks down and you need some Twinkies. Like, so no, no like you're not going to run. Like, but I'm like, oh, maybe I'll run. And then I'm thinking to myself, and I'm like, well, if I'm going to get to 8K, I should probably run a 10K. You know what I mean? Because why not? I mean, you're so close. You just round up, you know? And then I started thinking to myself, I'm like, well, if I'm going to run a 10K, I probably got to train for that, right? And I bring all this up because in a lot of ways, learning how to praise God when things are good is the training for being able to praise God when things are horrible. And for too many of us, we haven't cultivated the life discipline that says, God, I'm going to praise you right now because everything is pretty good. I wake up and I say, Lord, you are holy and true. Thank you for my life. Before a meal, we stop and say, Lord, thank you for what I'm about to receive. We don't bless the food. We bless the Lord because of the food, right? Or if you don't even like to pray, you heard it as a kid. God is great. God is good. Thank you, God, for all this food, right? <laughs> so like you start when things are normal so that when things get hard, you have cultivated a life of worship. Everything you experience is an opportunity to praise God because God is intimately acquainted with all of this. And that's what these martyrs here are doing. Now, what's interesting is they are asking God to right the wrongs that they have received. Now, this is important because too often we forget that the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 tells us that we should not take revenge on anybody, but we leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Now, here's the deal. Many of us are bent in our hearts because of the wrongs we received on exacting vengeance. But I want to tell you, revenge is not a Christian value because we trust the God who will make things right ultimately. Now, I bring that up, realize that when somebody wants to get vengeance or revenge or avenge a wrong that's committed, I realize that there are deep wounds and hurts that drive that, a lot of pain. So I don't want to minimize that. But what I do want to tell you is I want to encourage you to bring your pain to Jesus and trust that when Jesus makes the wrong right, he'll do it the right way. And most of us, in the name of revenge or vengeance, We're just in the flesh, which Jesus died on the cross to forgive us for those things. So they're asking God to do a work. And what's amazing here is Jesus says to them, he gives them a white robe. So they get blessed with these sacramental robes, so to speak. And he says to them, rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, were completed. So he's saying, it's not time for that yet. And unfortunately, there are more of you coming. Now, I would be just a horrendously bad Bible teacher or pastor if I didn't take a moment to talk about, we live in a day and age where the church is persecuted all over the world. 
Right now, about one-sixth of the Christians living globally live under active, aggressive persecution. Open Doors is a great organization. They say that there's 360 million Christians right now who are worshiping on a Sunday under threat of their life. In the last calendar year, about 6,000 Christians were killed for their faith. About 5,000 church buildings have been burned down in the last year alone. And as the body of Christ, we always have to remember that when one of us suffers, we all suffer. And I think about the, if you've ever traveled, and and I want to encourage you, like we had a team just come back from Lebanon, but like as we take trips around the world, I want to encourage you to go, it will change your perspective on everything. You know, I know what it's like to go to church where there's no sign on the building and there's armed guards outside. Because you can't put like a, hey, come and worship with us here at Crossroads, nine o'clock. You can't put that on the building. Like right now as a church family, we're partnering with two more families who are bringing the gospel into the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which is, we have a commitment as a church that we want to see a hundred missionary families in KSA. It's one of the least restricted places for the gospel. Like there's no such thing as going to a church building. You go to someone's house and when you get inside, you worship. It's like, because the restrictions are so great on the gospel. And I always like to remind people that the gospel can't be changed and it can't be restricted. And God is doing a work in the countries that there's the most aggressive persecution. But we have to realize that our faith holds even under the most extraordinary of circumstances. I've been reading missionary biographies since I started walking with Jesus. And when you read about people who brought the gospel around the world in in a previous generation, like you think about missionaries who, when they wanted to go cross-culturally, they'd get on a boat and they'd be on that boat for four months. And most of the people on the boat for four months would die from dysentery, all these different things. If you actually made it there, you know, it's like you don't have anybody there to connect with. You're a stranger in a strange land. And you read these stories and you, and you realize, you read about William Carey bringing the gospel to India. India's got more Christians in it than we have people in America. It's unbelievable. There's more Christians in India than there are Americans in the world. Literally, he goes over there and the struggles that they have to bring the gospel. And I'm reminded of what The American missionary who was martyred for his faith, Jim Elliott, says that a person is no fool to give up what they can never keep to gain that which they can never lose. It's sobering when you start talking about martyrdom, right? You start talking about giving up our lives for Christ. But don't miss, the moment you started following Jesus, you decided because of Jesus to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Jesus is Today's topic of conversation wasn't the easiest. None of us want to think about having to be a martyr for Jesus. Yes, it sounds good to say that you would die for Jesus, but what if you actually needed to make that decision today? Pastor Daniel reminded you that all around the world, men and women are making this choice, and many are dying for the gospel. Jesus sees this. He knows. So what are you being called to today. It may not be to die for your faith, but is Jesus asking you to follow him into something hard, something unknown? Don't be afraid. Follow him. He can be trusted. Hey, everybody. Pastor Daniel here, lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. 
We would love to connect with you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will remind you about the part you play as a follower of Christ, as a child of God. You have work to do as a Christian, and it's a call that's unique to you. It's a path you get to follow to bring glory to God and to draw others to faith. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called A Year of Revelation. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.